In our modern, fast-paced society, there's little experience of true silence. Automobiles and highways, trains on rails, airplanes taking off, flying and landing, television, radio, cell phones. Our civilization lives enmeshed in constant sound. We grow accustomed to the clamors around us as they become part of our lives. We tune them out. We don't even hear them. We don't notice them. But the countryside around Bethlehem would have been much different from modern America in many ways, one of which is the level of noise that would be present. There were no highways, distant or close at hand, to give off the whoosh of passing vehicles. No far-off sounds of locomotives rumbling along the tracks or jet engines flying overhead. No television or radio or phone notifications would interrupt the quiet of the night. The only sounds to be heard would have been those of regular activity, the rattle of branches as a wind blows through the brush, the occasional bleeding of sheep, or the subtle shifting of hooves seeking comfort and warmth as the flock huddles together, the inhale and exhale of the animals and of their keepers. These were the sounds that the shepherds would hear night after night over and over again. Everything about it would be peaceful and familiar. Just some shepherds and some sheep in a quiet, dark field. These shepherds, or the shepherds that we meet in these verses, seem to have been a special group. In the eyes of ritualistic Judaism, shepherds were the lowest class of workers. Their occupation required a certain amount of ceremonial uncleanness, making them unable to fulfill the many, uh, of the, many of the rabbis' interpretations of the demands of Moses' law. And so for this reason, the rabbis had decreed that shepherds must keep their flocks in the wilderness, far from towns and villages. And this was so that they would not pass ceremonial uncleanness on to others just by being shepherds. And yet Luke tells us that we find these shepherds in the same country, that is, carrying on their business in the vicinity of David's city, Bethlehem. We ought to ask the question, why was this? Well, most likely, these shepherds were tending the flocks that were used as sacrifices in the nearby temple of Jerusalem. Think about it. A constant supply was required for the daily and weekly offerings, and so we know that a flock was kept in Bethlehem only about six miles from the city of Jerusalem. This flock, which was destined for sacrifice, was tended year-round in the open field called Migdal Eder, just outside of Bethlehem, and it was kept for the sake of the worship of the temple in Jerusalem. We know that there was a tower overlooking the field, and the shepherds were responsible for the care of this flock, both from the tower and in the field. So we have shepherds, but not just any group of shepherds, and we have sheep, but not just any group of sheep, and we have a place, but it's not just any place. As these men worked that night, all of the familiar sounds of the dark would have come to their ears. Wind in the bushes, bleeding sheep, breath from companions, 
the same every night as far back as memory would stretch. But suddenly, in a moment, everything changed. The deep darkness of the Judean night gave way to terrifying brilliance as an angel, a messenger from God, stood before them and spoke to them his message. The nighttime peace was shattered as God broke through to address these men. In verses 8 and 9, everything is visual. We have peace and quiet and shepherds in the field, but suddenly an angel of the Lord comes to them, stands with them, and the glory of the Lord shines out before them. They're overwhelmed by this light. Have you ever been in a dark room, perhaps resting, Someone didn't know that you were there taking a nap and they walked in and suddenly turned on the light. What happens to you in that moment? Well, there's a rush of adrenaline that comes. Or what happens when everything is quiet and suddenly behind you a loud noise startles you? Once again, that rush of adrenaline comes and you're immediately aware of what's happening and oftentimes we are full of fear. That's exactly what happened here. We have the appearance of glory and the experience of terror. This would have been, the glory that appeared would have been nearly blinding for these shepherds with their eyes used to the dark because it was the glory of God that came and spoke to them or appeared to them. Now let's notice in verse 10 the sounds begin to occur in the silent night. In verse 10, we're told that this angel of the Lord, the first messenger, after this sudden appearance of the glory and brilliance of God, speaks to them a message. And he speaks to them words of comfort and joy. His first concern is to calm their fears, because apparently he knew. I don't know whether he knew this intuitively, or perhaps he had been instructed in this, But he knew that immediately the shepherds would be overcome. Literally, Luke says, they feared a great fear. So the first word that the angel speaks to them is to say, don't be afraid, fear not. He wants to reassure them before speaking to them. How would you feel if suddenly an angel of the Lord in all of his glory appeared to you? You'd be overwhelmed by fear. But the first words that you hear from his mouth are fear not. Fear not. Because I bring to you good tidings of great joy. Literally translated, what Luke tells us was in the words uh, or, or in the mouth of this angel was, I bring to you good news full of supreme joy. And actually, Luke uses the word from which we get the English, preach the gospel. It's as if the angel says, don't be afraid because I'm here to preach the gospel to you. I'm here to give you the best of news. The words that he is about to speak will bring to them the highest possible joy. It's as if this angel says to them, put away your fears and begin to overflow with joy. Now, it must be really difficult to turn that switch when you've been overwhelmed by the sudden appearance of an angel and fear rushes through you and he says, be happy! Be full of joy. I I just can't imagine the experience of going from the one to the other. I think I would still have a, a certain sense of overwhelming fear as this glorious angel stands before me. But that's what he says. I'm here to bring you the gospel. And he tells them why in verse 11. For unto you 
or there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the reason. Now, you know, I wonder if perhaps we don't comprehend the enormity of these words because they're so familiar to us. My wife and I were watching the Charlie Brown Christmas show a couple of weeks ago, and many of you probably have seen it, and you know that you hear these words spoken by the characters of Charlie Brown or or Charles Schultz, who drew Charlie Brown. We're so familiar with them at this time of the year that I'm not sure they have the impact that they would have had on those shepherds on that dark night, that dark Judean night. The angel is telling the shepherds, these lowly, unclean shepherds who largely are kept away from the rest of civilization, he is telling them that all of the promises of all of the ages, the hopes and the desires of the godly in Israel that have been cherished for millennia, waiting and longing for the coming, that these things have come to pass that night. How astounding would that be? Wouldn't you love to be the proverbial fly on the wall just to watch them and their reactions to what goes on? The fear that comes upon them, the wonder as he tells them not to be afraid, I'm preaching the gospel to you, the the amazement as they look at each other and contemplate the meaning of the words that he has spoken. Think about these shepherds. From the moment that the angel appeared, they must have known that something supernatural was happening in their midst. And these words that the angel spoke to them would explain and fix the truth in their minds. This is probably what they're thinking. Now, I'm speculating here, but this is probably what's going on in their minds. I think the the context can bear out something like this. They're probably saying, the Savior is born. And they're thinking about Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Or perhaps they thought, He is the Christ. And Isaiah 9, 6 came to their minds. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And did they respond to his direction that he gives to them and say in their minds, or at least think, it has happened in Bethlehem. Micah 5 2 may have been familiar to them, where the prophet speaks and says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. You see, the angel comes and speaks to these shepherds and gives to them a clear proclamation of God's grace among men in the gift of his son. This is the opportunity for the greatest joy that anyone could imagine. And you know what makes this especially interesting is that there was an ancient Jewish belief taught by the rabbis preceding these events that the first proclamation of Messiah would be at Migdal Eder in the shepherd's field outside of Bethlehem, which is exactly what happened. Now, that's not found in the scriptures. That's something that the rabbis taught. But the rabbis were right on that one because the proclamation of the Savior was made by the angel to the shepherds in this place. And, and in verse 12, the angel provides to them a sign so that there might be no mistake in identifying the baby. This will be the sign to you. 
You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, so that they're able to pick him out from any other babies who happen to have been born or were young at that point. You see, if you think about this, this very familiar text, it is astonishing, because suddenly, in the middle of a normal night, a night that up to this point was like every other night that the shepherds had ever known, suddenly in that night, the lives of the shepherds were changed forever by a few words that were spoken by this angel who came from God. But that's not the end of it. Because the story continues for us. When I say story, I don't mean myth. I mean the historical account that is described to us here in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, as as I was reading through this um, in preparation for preaching to you, it struck me in verse 19 how Luke says that Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And Luke tells us at the beginning of his Gospel that he carefully investigated all the circumstances. I wonder if he's actually relating to us the things that Mary herself knew that took place on the night when Jesus was born. Well, anyways, back to what happens next. Now we have the chorus. Suddenly, in verse 13, we're told, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Once again, these words are familiar to all of us but they are of the the greatest significance. Just as suddenly as the first messenger appeared in the darkness, the brilliance and the glory of God, now there are others. A multitude of heavenly servants come into sight and join in praise to God. Now maybe you're thinking about some of the scenes that have been depicted to us or some of the hymns that we sing. You might ask questions like, where were they? Where were these angels? Were they arranged like a chorus in the sky? Or were they standing on the ground? Did they sing as they spoke to Jesus? Or as they spoke to the shepherds? Or did they simply recite the words that are recounted, recounted to us here? Well, you know what? We don't know. We, we, we become familiar with these things through some of the stories that surround Christmas. But we can't say for sure. Now, if you read carefully, I, I would argue if we had to choose one... They were probably standing with the angel on the ground, not arrayed as a choir in heaven. And they probably spoke the words rather than saying them, but I can't tell you that for certain. What's most important is that their words echo what the, uh, what the deepest realities of the coming of Messiah. In many ways, they pick up on language that was spoken by the first angel. He said, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people The angels together, this multitude, say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. There are parallels between the two. Great joy to all people is peace, goodwill toward men. And then when they speak of glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men, they speak of heaven, they speak of earth, they speak of the entirety of the universe, Everything that is not God, everything that has been created, is greatly blessed by the event that is announced by these angels. They marvel at the glory of God in heaven and in his goodness to men on earth. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.12 that the angels of God long to look into the work that God does in redeeming sinners. The fallen angels aren't redeemed. The holy angels keep their state. 
And the holy angels look and they wonder at what God does by becoming one of us and taking upon himself our weaknesses, our flesh, living a life of holy obedience and then dying and taking our punishment. They're amazed at this. And here they are as the holy messengers of God to speak of his glory and his kindness. Ephesians 3.10 indicates that the principalities and powers, the heavenly beings, observe the manifold wisdom of God that is revealed in the gospel. They wonder at what God does in the simple things that we believe. The angels were amazed at the grace of God in the incarnation of the Son of God, our Savior. So on this silent night, the sounds of the angels proclaim the glory of God. But these were not the only sounds that were heard on that silent night. Because in response to the words of the angels, we need to notice the word, the sounds of the shepherds as well. You know, one thing that we ought to take away from this text is that when the angels, as messengers of God, came and spoke, the immediate response of the shepherds was faith. They believed the word that came to them. They received this word. We're told in verse 15 that they spoke to one another. After the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds spoke to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Hearing the word of God produced faith in them, and faith produced expectancy and desire, which caused them to go and to see the Christ. In fact, Luke tells us in verse 16 that they very quickly, they made haste. Following the directions that were given to them, they found the holy child and they gathered together to worship him. Verse 17, we're not told much about what took place when they came and saw Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. I was looking at this scene over here before and thinking that it probably doesn't depict things exactly the way that it did. And I assume, of course, that the reason the baby's not there is because they want to keep the second commandment. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, there is no baby in the manger. Probably on Christmas Eve they'll be put in there, but uh, <clears throat> a little bit of humor. In verse, it, it, we're not told much of what happened in that encounter, except that they saw Mary and Joseph and the babe, but we're told what happened immediately afterwards. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. That is, the shepherds, these lowly, outcast shepherds, become evangelists. And what were they saying? They were saying what they had heard. They were picking up the language of verse 11, and they were picking up the language of verse 14. Can you see them leaving the place where Jesus is born, speaking to anyone that they encounter and saying, there is born this day here in Bethlehem a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we are to bring glory to God in heaven and on earth because of his goodwill toward men. They take these words, they hear, they see, and they tell. Shepherds are not usually eloquent or polished in speaking because they talk to animals. They don't really talk to a lot of people. But these shepherds, because of the joy that they knew, their fear was overcome, it was exchanged for joy. Because of their joy, it made them tell about these things. 
Listen to these words from C.S. Lewis. Very insightful words. You probably have heard them before. He said this, I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless sometimes, even if, shyness or the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Readers praise their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praise most. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think it magnificent? The psalmists in telling everyone to praise God are doing what all men do when they speak of what they care about. And brothers and sisters, this is what happened to the shepherds. Try for a moment. I know that we really can't do this, but try to put yourself into their circumstances. You're full of fear. Then the gospel is preached to you. Then you see it with your own eyes. And then you're overwhelmed by what you've just experienced and you go with joy to tell as many others as possible of the events that had just taken place. And then we're told in verse 20, when the shepherds returned to the field... The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. What did they do when they came back to the field, this humble field outside of Bethlehem, the field that was full of sheep that would go to the temple in Jerusalem and be sacrificed? What did they do? They worshipped. Their lips were taken up with honor to God. Now, I've wondered if this had anything to do with their profession, because they raised sheep for sacrifice. They would have constantly been bringing their sheep to Jerusalem for slaughter. Had this constant activity made them sensitive to God's plan and thus responsive to his promises when those promises were revealed to them. They had great faith, for this was only an hours-old baby born to a teenage mother in an inconvenient place, outwardly, if you didn't know what was happening, this was a display of poverty and difficulty. But those outward facts did not deter these men. They worshipped. Now, it wouldn't be until 30 years later that this baby would come forth into public view and begin his ministry. But you remember what John the Baptist said of him? When he was baptized, when he began his public ministry, remember his words? Behold the Lamb of God. I wonder if any of these shepherds were still around. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because the words of John the Baptist would have had special significance for these shepherds who witnessed not his birth, but witness the baby immediately after his birth, the one who was the lamb to take away the sins of the world. This night was not like the others. The routine was broken. Several hours before these incidents, there was wind and there was breath and there was bleeding. 
But now there were voices that were filled with praise to God for his gift of the Savior. So at least for these shepherds, the silent night was full of unforgettable sounds. Now what happened to the shepherds suggests several things that we ought to consider. Let me bring them before you. First, they were startled by the sudden appearance of heavenly messengers, but they readily received the message that was given to them. We are so familiar with the story that it may, be easily, it may easily become quaint and neglected. I wonder, do the good tidings of great joy move you to worship and to service? The events of that night, that night long ago, that dark, quiet, normal night, the events of that night are part of the greatest event in world history. Because without the virgin birth, without Mary and Joseph and the manger, without the visit of the shepherds, there is neither cross nor resurrection. Our hopes of forgiveness would be in vain. The shepherds understood this. Just a week later, when Simeon and Anna hold the baby or see the baby in the temple, they understand this. And we need to understand it as well. Because, brothers and sisters, these things did happen. Despite the materialism of our culture, we must see in Christmas the grace and the mercy of God extended to sinners like you and like me. God, the eternal, immortal, unchangeable God, this God became one of us in order to bring to us salvation. And this ought to powerfully move us. In fact, it ought to do two things in our lives. If you've never before trusted in Christ, then I would ask you to do so now. Trust in Him. Think about the wonder and the amazement of the Creator of heaven and earth, the Sustainer of all things, the one to whom all things will be brought together, that one entering into his creation and taking upon himself our humanity, not just to experience it, but knowing that as he came, he would enter into a life of poverty, a life of difficulty, a life of suffering that ultimately would culminate on a Roman cross where not just the physical pain, the endurance of the struggle, the exhaustion of death on a cross would come to him. But what was far worse is that he endured the wrath of God as he hung between heaven and earth in that moment. And he did so in order that sinners might be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. Ultimately, that's what the story of Christmas is about. It's about God becoming man entering into the world that he had created so that we might find forgiveness. And so I ask you, if you've never before come to faith in Christ, why do you wait? What are you putting off? It's good news. God has acted. You, you may find forgiveness for your sins by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. You know that you're a sinner. You can't hide that fact. You remember your sins. Your sins will bring eternal punishment to you 
unless they are forgiven by God the judge through Jesus Christ himself. You must put your faith in him and find salvation in him. When by faith you trust in Christ and his righteousness, God the judge will pardon your sins. He lived and he died so that sinners might find life. So my friend, if you've never before trusted him, then I trust in him, then trust him today. Depend upon him. Find forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. But if you're a believer, the power that was at work in the lives of these shepherds on that quiet night is a power that is still at work. And with the help of God's Holy Spirit, I urge you to let the tidings of great joy produce in you that same joyous response. What has God done? He's given us his son, and all of our sins are forgiven, and all of the blessings of this life come upon us. As I was listening to a very fine sermon this morning, I was thinking about how the scriptures in in the life of Jesus present to us the fact that nothing in this life is worth anything eternally. We live our lives to accumulate, to find wealth, to find comfort, But all of those things will come to an end. It's faith in Christ and dependence upon Christ that ought to draw forth from us the greatest joy. And so, brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, I urge you, as you think about this very familiar story that we'll celebrate in the next couple of days, think about what it means to be the recipient of God's grace in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. Second application that we can draw out of this passage is this. For those of us who do rejoice in these events, there is a responsibility that surrounds the observance of Christmas. We ought to do what the shepherds did. Now, again, think about the circumstances. We've read the text. The angels came to the shepherds with the divine message. First there was one. And then there was a multitude of them, but they didn't go beyond the field. They returned to heaven. They went back to the place from which they came. The heavenly heralds spoke to the shepherds, but they didn't speak to anyone else. The people around Bethlehem could only know about the baby Christ because the shepherds took the opportunity to go and tell them. And as verse 17 tells us, or describes to us, we must tell others. Our silence must be turned into making this known. God has spoken to us. We ought to ask the question, will we speak to others? Will we hear those words of C.S. Lewis, contemplating the beauty and the majesty? Will we speak words of praise to others spontaneously because of the overflow that God has done in our hearts. The great joy for all people is ours. Understanding and knowing this joy ought to spur us on to tell the good tidings of great joy to all people. Our modern world is filled with noise. We must seek to break through that noise and sound forth the gospel of Christ. Now maybe in the next two days you'll have a family celebration of Christmas. Maybe even tomorrow, although it's probably late, but maybe even tomorrow you'll have a party at work. 
some special luncheon where everybody gets together. I used to do it when I worked in secular jobs. Let me make a suggestion to you for your family Christmas Eve service or, or, or celebration or Christmas morning. Ask whoever is hosting if you could take a few moments and read from Matthew's Gospel or Luke's Gospel the Christmas story. A simple request. Maybe many of your family members are not believers, but you could say, you know, this is Christmas time, and I'd love just to be able to read from Matthew's Gospel. Don't read the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew 1. Pick, pick it up in verse 18, where the angel comes and speaks to Mary and to Joseph. Or read this, Luke chapter 2. Read this. And you don't even have to say anything else. Just read it to them. You're bringing them good news. And maybe that will give you an opportunity at that moment or later on to speak to them about why that good news is so important. I remember one time in our family, I asked if I could do this. And my older brother, who's not converted, still isn't converted, but he went to my mother and he said, that was a really good thing that Jimmy did, that he read to us the story of the birth of Jesus. Take it as an opportunity, because you don't get that opportunity many other times during the year. I did it once in, it, at work. We had a lunchtime, I think it was the, on Christmas Eve, and uh, all of the people in our department came together for lunch, and I went to the supervisor, and I said, would you mind if all I did was read from this, uh, this Bible verse? Sure, we'd be glad to let you do that. And I did, and had the opportunity to read the gospel to people. At this time of year, people may be more willing to give you an opportunity. So brothers and sisters, grab it, take it, use it. And perhaps the Lord will use that to begin to work in other people's lives. When you attend a party, when you enjoy your Christmas meal, ask if you can take a few moments and read this chapter or read from Matthew chapter 1. Ask the Spirit of God to make you like these shepherds to be able to go and to tell others the glad tidings, the great tidings of joy, of comfort, the good news that comes to men and women. And then finally, the events of that first Christmas had a profound effect on the shepherds. Their silence was turned to praise. The profound grace and mercy of God in Christ ought to produce glorifying and praising to God for all that he has done. So I urge you during this season and throughout the whole year to worship the Lord for the coming of Jesus Christ our Savior so that our silence may be turned to praise. And may it be that the Lord causes our silent nights to be full of the sounds with which he is pleased to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for these wonderful events. Thank you for the way that you worked in the shepherds, for their immediate belief in your word, for their rapid journey into Bethlehem, for their amazement at your grace. What you did in them by your spirit do in us. We've heard the same word spoken. Your spirit is the same spirit. We pray that you would make us like them. Help us to share with others the glad tidings of great joy that come through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.